sin, a Christian, be continually forgiven for the same sin committed over and over again? Maybe that's a question you've asked before or you've thought about. And the answer to that question is yes. So that concludes our service. <laughs> oh, no, no. You know, a preacher would have much more to say than just a simple yes. Right. So Jesus taught us to forgive one who comes to us and asks us to forgive them 70 times, seven times, right? So that, that's an unlimited amount. So obviously God has the ability and the capability to forgive the believer who comes to him repenting of a sin. Why? Because God's love is so vast. It's unconditional. And really, there's nothing that you can do to earn God's love, to make him love you more nor is there anything you can do to make him love you less. He loves you perfectly because, as the Bible says, God is love. I think that's hard for us to handle as human beings because we're so used to conditional love. If you're good, people love you. If you're bad and messed up, they don't love you as much. So it's hard to grasp that God's love isn't based on what we do to try to earn it. I don't completely understand that, but I accept it. I revel in it and, and I'm so thankful for it. So my concern this morning is not about God's ability to continually forgive me for the same sin that I commit over and over again. But it's to ask this question. Why would a Christian continually commit the same sin? That's what Romans six addresses and that's what I want us to look at today. If you have your Bibles and you'd like to have them open, I'm going to go through Romans 6 today so you can follow right along or follow along on the screen. But here's the first point today. The incomprehensibleness, that's a mouthful, of continuing in sin. Let me give you a moment to write that down if you're taking notes before we read the text. Nineteen letters. OK, Romans six, one and two. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? If God continually forgives sin, Paul is asking, perhaps someone has was saying this, then why can't we keep on sinning so that we keep on receiving God's forgiveness and grace? Paul is horrified at that thought. For him, Christian and continually sinning don't fit together in the same sentence. It's incomprehensible to him. The word continue to sin in verse 1 is in the present tense. It means to stay, remain, reside, abide, in sin, as it's an everyday practice and habit of one's life to continue in that state of sin as a believer, then is unthinkable to Paul. How can that be? Because in verse two, he says we've died to sin. The word death in the Bible never means extinction. It means separation. I've been separated from the old sin nature that can only sin. I've died, past tense, aorist tense, completed action in the past. I've died to the love of sinning. 
I died to the ruling power of sin in my life. Think about an electrical outlet. Before you were saved, you were plugged into the electrical outlet of your old sinful nature. You only knew sin. Perhaps in your mind you convinced yourself, I'm good. I'm a really good person. But your body and your mind and your fallen spirit obeyed your old nature. But when you are in Christ, God unplugged you from your old sin nature and plugged you into his nature. Now, we'll see later that we can plug ourselves back into our old nature if we want to. But the key is you don't have to now. There's a difference. Before I had to sin. Now I don't. I may sin out of habit because that's all I've known. I'm so used to in my thinking and behavior. It's just so programmed to do that. But I don't have to now as a believer. Yes, I will sin occasionally. And yes, we will sin until we get to heaven when we are made perfect. But now as a Christian, I have a new nature. I'm in Christ. And Christ's nature is not to sin. His nature is holy. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We don't want to sin now. We might sin, but we don't want to. We're sad when we sin. What if I tried to dress up a pig, right? Isn't that a silly thought? Put a dress on a pig. Put perfume and lipstick and a lovely little dress and a bow in the pig's hair. Isn't that stupid? Because what's that pig going to do? That pig is going to go out into the mud and wallow in the mud, even though it has a pretty dress on and a ribbon in its hair. Why? Because that's its nature. God has pulled us out of the mud. We don't have to live in the mud anymore. I may choose to go jump back in it sometime, but I don't have to. Second point, the metaphors of our salvation. The metaphors of our salvation. Let's read verses 3 through 10. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, So we, too, might walk in newness of life for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. So that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives He lives to God. Two word pictures or metaphors here for our salvation that Paul uses to illustrate his point that we've died to sin. The first is baptism. Now, I just Pastor Charles and I baptized three people recently last Sunday. Love that. Amazing. 
when someone follows the Lord in baptism. If you've never been immersed in baptism, I encourage you to do so. Let us know. We will do that for you. Baptism symbolizes the believer's identification with Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. When you're baptized, you go down into the water. And then it's like being surrounded by the water. That's your environment. It's like a death and a burial, right? Then you come up out of the water and it's like a resurrection. It's like Christ's death and resurrection. It symbolizes that. Now, as a baptized believer, I walk in newness of life, not oldness of life. I'm not who I used to be. I am a new person now. And let's read several verses that, that indicate that. Second Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. 1 Corinthians 6.9-11 Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this is the good part. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Some of you used to behave like this. This used to be your lifestyle, who you were. But you're that no longer. You don't practice these things anymore. You're a new person. A couple places in Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Ephesians five, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this, you know, with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes Upon the sons of disobedience, therefore, do not be partakers with them. We are a new person, not the old self. We're to walk in newness of life. Our, our lifestyle changes. We don't live like that anymore. We're born again. I have a new nature. I'm a new person. The real me on the inside hates sin. The real me on the inside loves truth, purity, holiness, righteousness. When I sin, I feel badly. The Holy Spirit within me makes me uncomfortable and puts his finger on that. He brings it to my mind so I can confess it and receive forgiveness. The second metaphor here in this section is grafting. 
Paul says you're united together. One branch of a tree is grafted into another and it becomes part of a new tree. I've been separated and unplugged from my old self. I've been cut off from that old tree and grafted or united into a new one in Christ. I'm grafted into his tree. I'm united with him. And he has divine resources to help me. Second Peter 1.4 says, For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. I'm united with Christ, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Verse 6 in Romans 6 says, The power of sin has been done away with. That means defeated, deprived of power. Rendered inoperative and ineffective, similar to died to sin in verse two. God has separated us from the source of sinning. Third point. Reckoning ourselves as dead. And that's verses 11 to 14. Let's read that section. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. One commentator said here that this is the first time in the book of Romans so far that we're told to do something. Up to that point, it's God has done all this for you. So what must we do? Reckon yourself. That means to place into another's account. Let's say you owe someone a thousand dollars and you don't have the money and the banker looks into your account and sees that you don't have a thousand dollars to cover that bill. So the banker nicely, wonderfully puts a thousand dollars into your account so you can pay off your creditor and you legitimately do not owe that person anything anymore. Paul is saying here, you don't owe your old sin nature anything. Let me illustrate it this way. Let's say you're in the army. And the sergeant comes up to you. Immediately, you snap to attention just out of habit and you salute him. And he says, get down and give me 50. You've got to do it. You get down on the deck and you do 50 pushups. Or he says, I want you to clean the barracks with your toothbrush. You, you got to do it. But what if you've received your discharge papers? You're no longer in the army. You're walking off the base and the sergeant comes up to you. You don't have to salute him. If he tells you to get down and give me 50, you don't have to do it. Because he doesn't have authority over you anymore. His authority has been broken. Paul says the power of sin has been broken over us in our lives. We do not have to obey its orders. In these verses, Paul is using military language. He says reign over you and present your members like you present arms. You have a new ruler over your life, Jesus Christ, 
Give yourself completely to him. You have a choice now, either God or Satan, sin or God. Puritan writer John Owen says, we are called into a theater to fight and contend into a field to be tried in warfare. Our enemy is sin, which strives and contends for the rule over us. This we are to resist even unto blood. That is, unto our utmost in doing and suffering. And now point four. From slaves of sin to slaves of God. Slaves of sin to slaves of God. Let's read the last section. Verses 15 to 23. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and a lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul is kind of putting it all together here, summarizing that our sin nature has been broken. We aren't to live in and commit habitual sin. But someone questions, well, is it okay to sin a planned sin every once in a while because we're under grace? Can I have a casual attitude towards sin? Like I've heard some people say, yeah, I I am doing this, that and the other, but it's okay. God, God and I have this understanding. Paul says no and gives three reasons why. So under A, I would say sin makes us its slave. We have to realize that sin makes us its slave. Slaves had no free time. They were always on the clock. Whatever the master wanted, the slave had to do. Whatever we habitually obey, that's our master. Is it God or Satan? Is it truth or the lie? Even neutral things like money and food can become a master to us and we obey them. A young boy and his sister were visiting their grandparents. And the boy was playing a little too hard and broke his grandmother's vase. So he cleaned up the pieces and threw them in the wastebasket. His sister saw what he did. So after supper, Grandma asked 
Johnny to do the dishes or ask Sally to do the dishes. And Sally said, Johnny wants to do them. She whispered in his ear, do the dishes or I'll tell grandma you broke the vase. For one week straight, Johnny did all the chores, his and his sister's. Finally, he had enough and he went to his grandmother and confessed. And she said, I know you broke the vase. I saw the pieces in the wastebasket. I forgive you. But I was wondering how long you were going to let your sister make a slave out of you. So how long will you or I allow Satan to make a slave out of us in one area of our lives? Remember, sin's power in that area has been broken. You do not have to keep submitting. Let's say you're at work and your coworker says some snarky things about you. So you have a choice at that moment. Are you going to respond back like you always used to respond? Or are you going to walk away or bless that person even? If you respond in kind, you stay enslaved to your tongue. All right, B. Sin makes us ashamed. Ever been ashamed of something you did or said? Of course, we all have. And if I choose to stay enslaved to that sin in my area, then I'm going to be ashamed a lot. And if you don't like how it feels to constantly live in shame, then confess it and receive forgiveness. And the C is sin will eventually kill you. Wages, Paul mentions here, again, the theme of the military theme. Wages are what a soldier earned for risking his life for the emperor. But a gift was given to that soldier on a special occasion, usually the emperor's birthday. It was an unearned bonus. Paul is saying here, if you live a continual, habitual life of sin, it's going to eventually kill you. There will be consequences. But if you receive the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus, it's a bonus. It's a gift. It's freely given to you and you can live a victorious Christian life now. Well, let me wrap it up by telling you a story from my own life. I remember taking a skiing class in college. Now, at that age of my life, I thought I was a pretty decent athlete. So I thought skiing is a brand new sport. I've never done it before, but I'm sure I'm going to master this sport in no time. Well, I had problems getting my ski boots on. And the handsome ski instructor, I know he wanted to spend all his time with my pretty female classmates, but I kept needing his help. I waddled out of the locker room with my skis on that he helped me get on and I immediately fell over and my skis fell off. So he had to come over and help me get my skis back on. I kept on falling probably four or five times until we reached the staging area where he was going to demonstrate some stuff. And each time he had to come over and help me get my skis back on. He spent the entire first night with me. Finally, I mastered the great art of being able to stand upright with skis on my feet. So then he started teaching us how to go back and forth, that we would need to master that. And so I quickly mastered the art of racing straight down the hill at warp speed. 
But what I didn't master was how to stop. I needed the cornfield for that. Or I just simply sat down and then my skis fell off. So what Paul is doing for us in Romans chapter six is giving us a great gift. He's giving us the breaks for sin. He's saying you don't have to fly downhill out of control. You don't have to crash into the trees down at the bottom. You can swish back and forth through life. And here's how you stop sinning. And you know what? Your skis won't fall off. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the great lesson the apostle teaches us in Romans chapter six about sin. We are free from the ruling power and source of sin in our lives as believers. So we don't have to keep committing a sin or many sins over and over again. We can really be free. Help us to realize that in our lives, to be free from sin. Pray that in Jesus name. Amen.